But uh, since the start of the year, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs because, boy, this topic of wisdom is something we desperately need to consider because we are all in need of more wisdom. And God says, for those who lack it, to ask him for it. And so this is kind of our, our entryway into that. We're coming to God, looking at his word, and asking him to give us this wisdom he says that he has and loves to give to his people. So please give your, reading to the atten- uh, give your attention to the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from the book of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life and the gain of the wicked to sin. False balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. The people curse him who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that uh, you would now speak to us. Speak to us where we're at. And for some of us, that means we're here excited to hear from you. And others of us are surprised we find ourselves in a church this morning. And for some of us, our hearts have been so hardened that we come and we're praying that somehow we experience that just that moment of grace that we need to really believe again that you're truly good and all that you say about Jesus is true. But this morning we ask that we would hear your voice full of wisdom and hope because, Lord, you have the words of life. And we ask that you would send us out today with joy, the joy that only you can give. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. As I said, we've been studying the Proverbs to start this new year. And just a quick review of where we've been. We said, you know, wisdom is not really about being smart. It's about navigating life well in God's world according to his word. You know, uh, another way to think about it is wisdom is being skillful in life. Skilled at life. And we said wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord because this is how Proverbs begins. It starts when you submit your life to God, okay, and it becomes the center and the foundation of your life. That's the source of wisdom. And we also said wisdom is a path. The way you get wisdom is not like walking through a door and somehow you figure out how to be a wise person and boom, it's all downloaded at once. No, it's a pathway. And there are certain things you need to do to stay on that path with God, namely our orientation of our hearts, which is the compass of our lives. 
to know God, his commands, his love, and to trust him. And ultimately, to stay on this path and not to go down the path of folly requires staying near Jesus. That, that really encompasses a lot of what we're trying to get at here. And today, we want to try to think about this in relation to a topic we don't talk much about, but it's about money. We're going to talk about it today, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, okay, I wish I didn't come today. You know, it's not the best day to bring a friend. I could be home for the start of the preparation for a playoff game, you know. But it's my hope that we end up talking a lot more than just about money. Because the way God describes this, it's a way for us to go and walk into freedom. Freedom. We're talking about wisdom of generosity, about money and wealth. What do we do with it? You know, it occurred to me, this is not something that only we think about quite a bit, but it's actually been on Jesus' mind a lot when you go through the gospel. Did you know Jesus talks about money more than probably any other subject? More than he talks about food or clean laws. More than he talks about prayer. More than he talks about sex or sexuality. Jesus talks about wealth and money constantly. And now, if you're not a Christian and you're here, the first thing I do want you to know is this. We don't want your money. We're not after your money. We really, really mean that. But I want to invite you to consider what the Proverbs is saying about money, wealth, how to grow into a person of generosity, because foolishness in the area of wealth and money will lead to destruction. That's, that's what Proverbs is telling us. So think about it. Uh, first of all, before we do anything else, when you begin to read through Proverbs, you will find how often it also talks about building wealth. But in a very positive way, and this may surprise you, Bruce Welke, who's a, a renowned Old Testament scholar, in his commentary says, you know, half of the occurrences of the word wealth in the book of Proverbs is actually talked about positively. It says to prize it, to go after it. The other half, he says, don't trust it. But he begins with, it's something to be prized. It's not bad. I think there's a lot of misconception where people think Christians think money is bad. I'll give you an example. Example, Proverbs 10.22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. I mean, that, that's pretty clear. Wealth, part of it is this is God's blessing. Chapter 10 in particular has a lot to say about money. Uh, listen to what it says in verse 4 and 5 of chapter 10. Lazy hands make a man poor but diligent hands bring wealth. And it's talking about the person who's working hard diligently and honestly, it produces wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is wise. He who sleeps during harvest time is disgraceful. It's like it encourages us towards something. Hard work, ingenuity, creativity, self-control, discipline, all of these things are tied to prospering, prospering materially, economically. And the Proverbs continues to point us to this 
So much so that if you want to just focus on those proverbs, you think making money and building wealth, all of that is great, and that's what we're only supposed to chase. But it also begins to talk about how we need to respect the power of money, not only for the way it blesses us, but because it has an incredible spiritual danger attached to it. It begins to warn us. Warn us not to trust it. It tells us it can lead to folly. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 11. I have that printed for you. It says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. What, What is this proverb trying to get at? It's trying to tell you that money has the power to corrupt your integrity. You may start out as a person who is honest, a person of character, but in the opportunity and the presence of being able to maybe make a lot of money, it's amazing how many people lose their integrity. Because you know what a false balance is, this weight idea? It's pretty simple. So imagine you go to the gas station and you put a gallon of gas in your car, but you only got three quarters of a gallon. That's a false weight or measure. You pay for a pound of coffee beans at the grocery store, but you get home to realize you only got 12 ounces of beans instead of 16 ounces. That's a false weight, a false balance. It represents cheating. And I think part of the false weight thing is it often goes unnoticed. You know the kinds of things that people do? Trading stock on inside information, misrepresenting what your products can do, hoping that no one notices. This is the kind of temptation comes before you where you get to think that somehow you're able to make a whole lot of money and there's a possibility of corruption when your desire for money starts to erode your integrity and you slide into things like petty theft and sin. It's warning us about that. Second, it talks about in verse 26 of chapter 11, it says this, the people curse him who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. It's talking about the person who because of money and the desire to grow their money and their business their hearts are beginning to harden. Their hearts are hardening toward other people. Imagine a situation where there's a shortage of food in the town, but you have grain. But rather than sell it, you decide to hold it back. Why? You're waiting for the price to go up. And when that money, the price goes up, you sell it at a greater profit. Now, there's nothing illegal about this. And again, wisdom is not a matter of understanding what is right and wrong, legal or not legal. But the scriptures here condemn this practice. Why? Because this is harming the community. You and what you're doing actually impacts those way around you. And it's trying to tell you the bottom line of earning money is not the main thing. Your profits, when it neglects the common good of the community, is not what God is intending. You know, because the righteous have a way of understanding their wealth, their money, in a way that says, hey, how does what God has entrusted to us actually benefit and impact the broader community? 
But when money is there and the possibility of making a lot of it, it warns us our hearts may get hardened. You know, there was an article in the New York Times yesterday about how pharmaceutical companies keep prices of their proprietary drugs uh, artificially propped up through filing lots of patents and suing their competitors to extend the number of years they can exclusively sell their drugs. With a monopoly in place, they can raise the price of drugs and increase their profits. I mean, the impact of being very good at business earned one company $116 billion since the end of 2016 just by delaying generics coming onto the market through all very legal methods. And apparently, this is a common strategy used by all the big pharmaceutical companies. And we can say, yeah, that's actually, it's just good business. That's just smarter. But the wise ask different questions. Is this good? How does it impact the patients who need the drugs, especially those who cannot afford them? What things do we need to change? You see, in the scriptures, the righteous are those who are willing to forego a greater profit for what? The sake of the common good and the community. You know, this is why it says in chapter 10, verse 16, the wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Money is not just meant for our own profits, not only for those who are investors in a company, but it's meant to bless the community. The other thing money begins to do is when you're around it a lot, it actually destroys your ability to understand yourself. Self-knowledge makes you really, really overconfident. Listen to what it says in chapter 30, verse 8. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. You know, he's talking about two things here where it's both the person who is incredibly successful that says, Who's the Lord? I don't need God. I did it all on my own. Because there's nothing like wealth and economic success to make you overconfident on your own abilities. And think that you have it all together. It was your discipline, your smarts, and you outmaneuvered everyone. And that's why you have made it. And it starts to impair things like your judgment. You don't listen to other people. You forget about who God is. And it's a syndrome that's indicative of someone where money has greater uh, and kind of inflamed the sense of self-pride. And this is why Bernard of Clairvaux once said, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. But money also destroys us when you begin to see, okay, when you're poor, and it says, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And it can work in a different way where someone is struggling and they're saying, you know what, I'm just living under all this injustice and it doesn't matter. I'm not going to go and do the hard work, but you know what, I'm going to begin to steal. And he says, when you do that, you also forget God. You also forget that God is for you. And he's saying, hey, I am going to provide for you even in the midst of hardness. 
Money twists our perception of ourselves, of justice, who we are. These are the things the Proverbs begins to warn us about. And if you start to think about why does money have such power and influence over us? Why? It has the power to destroy the fabric of our society, ourselves. It distracts us from remembering what's really important in life. Why does this happen? You know, and Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, a person's life does not consist in his possessions. Think about the word consist. It's an interesting word. Is your life made up of, composed of your possessions? Why is he saying this? Why does he bother bringing this up? Because he's saying the way we operate and the way our hearts are, we actually do define ourselves by our possessions. We actually believe our life consists of these things. And Jesus is saying, Your life doesn't consist in how much you make or what you own. But we're prone to think that. And that is the absolute default drive of our hearts. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve two masters, God and money. Did you know Jesus only singles out one rival to God? He says it's money. You cannot serve two masters, one or the other will control you. And Proverbs is saying the same thing. You know, look at chapter 10, verse 15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. Think about that image for a second. A strong city. Think back to what cities were like thousands of years ago. You go to Jerusalem, there's a wall around that city. You go to Rome, there used to be a wall around that city. You go to Beijing and you see the forbidden city. There's a pretty large wall around that city too. You know why? Because in the ancient world, cities were places of what? Security. You are protected from the outside world. Invading more marauders, foreign armies that are coming through, bandits. You can even say it protects you from the wild animals that are out there. You are protected. You are secure in a city. And because of that, cities were a place where you can do business. And those who were really poor often lived outside the city. Those who were wealthy were in the city. Those who were the creative class lived in the city. So it was a place of significance and status. And now notice what it says in verse 15. It doesn't say the wealthy live in the city, but it says... A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And what does that mean? What does that mean? In chapter 18, verse 10, it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his imagination... He's saying the rich person thinks money will protect them in his imagination. It's like a high wall that is there. There is no better alternative 
to significance and security in the world than our wealth. There's no more plausible way to feel good about ourselves, to feel secure and in control, than having wealth. It is the alternative to God. And this is why it has such an enormous, enormous power. Wealth doesn't give you just general happiness. It gives you a sense of identity. It gives you your security. I mean, think about the words we use to describe our money. What is the sum total of all our possessions? What do we call that? We call it our what? Net worth. Where do you think this term comes from? We begin to think our worth as human beings is tied to how much we have and consists of our possession. This is our default. Think about the other words we begin to use with our money. How about the way we invest? We invest and we buy what? Securities. Vehicles by which we're going to get secure. They're supposed to be safe. And then we create trust, right? Trust and estate planning to protect our beneficiaries. I mean, you start thinking about the way we talk about this in everyday language. Net worth, worth, security, and trust. These are all rivals to all the things that God says he himself is. Why? Money has that kind of power, my friends. Because we know some of us look to our worth for money for our worth and significance. This is how you feel important. It gives you all the choices that money does provide. Where you get to live, what kind of vacations you get to take, where your kids get to go to school or preschool. I mean, you get to experience things that no one else gets to, maybe be around important people. And you don't look at other people and think, oftentimes, well, you know, they're, they're not doing as well. But you know what our hearts do? It starts to kind of grow and think, well, maybe it's because I'm, I'm actually smarter. I'm more able. I'm better. You know, the pride grows. And you have this sense of worth that grows because of money. Others of us, look to our welfare security because rather than doing all the spending and feel like I have money so I'm important, the other person says in their heart, I have money so I'm safe. I've got money in the bank, I've got investments, I've got appreciating assets, you know. You're insecure about your future, so how do you deal with it? Put all our trust in our money. Having enough feels like it doesn't matter what life throws at us, right? I feel protected. But we know money can't stop death, can't stop tragedy. It can't keep you from heartache, can't keep you from relational strife. But this is why money has such power over us. More than anything in the world, it offers us a sense of worth and security apart from God. And we are getting this. Whether you believe in God or not, whether you are a Christian or not, to a great degree, we're getting all of these things through our money. 
This is why, again, a rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. See, when money works on our hearts that way, it is incredibly, incredibly dangerous because we know the stats. You, you, you've heard all this stuff before. 4.2 billion people live on less than $7 a day. We know that. Almost 650 million people live on less than $2 a day. Extreme poverty. But you know why those numbers never really connect with our hearts? We're like, oh, that's a nice, nice uh, number. Because we don't compare ourselves to the world. We compare ourselves to the pockets of people we live and work around. What they're driving, where they're vacationing, where their kids are going to preschool, whether they own, they rent, you know. Every single one of us is surrounded by people who have a lot more money than we do. And the consequence of that is we feel like we're not wealthy. In fact, when uh, people are asked, Americans are asked, whether they are middle class or not, 98% of Americans assume we are middle class. Do the math for a second, okay? (laughs) It doesn't make sense. That's how we feel. And when Jesus sticks it to the rich guy and says, well, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, we love that because that's not us, you know? (laughs) We're like, that's never us. And the thing the Proverbs is trying to tell us is, no, 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 that is us. That's us. So how do we deal with this? How do we grow into a person of generosity? How do we grow into a person where money actually becomes this thing that is used for blessing, to bless our community, to experience the things that God talks about in a positive way, and avoid the things that God warns, about, warns us about in the Proverbs? And I want to tell you a story of generosity, a story of generosity out of Luke chapter 19. Jesus enters the city, the city of Jericho, and as he's passing through it, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So if you're short like me, you, you, you resonate with this story. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Ugh. A diminutive tax collector named Zacchaeus. Think of who tax collectors are. These are people who bid on jobs to collect taxes for the Roman government. And the way they made their money is you charge a service fee an extra on top of that, and you pocket all of that. And the people hated them. You know, so who, who says, I aspire to be a tax collector when they grow up? 
why would anybody want this job if you know you're going to be hated? You know why? Because the money was good. And we're told he wasn't just a tax collector. Did you notice he is a chief tax collector? So he's on top of the pyramid here, and he was rich. I mean, it goes out of its way to tell us, the text says, he was rich, just in case we missed it. But Jesus cares for this man. He eats with him. He heals him. And you know what's remarkable about this story is the key experiences grace through Jesus. And you know what that did to him? He became a generous person. This is one of the signs. I'm not saying it's the only sign. This is one of the signs that you actually understand God's grace. Your attitude toward your money and your wealth begins to change. You grow in generosity. This is what is happening to Zacchaeus. I mean, Jesus, notice, never ever mentioned money once in this passage. But in verse 8, Zacchaeus immediately begins talking about money unprompted. He says, Jesus, you're my Lord, you're my master. He gets it. Because why? Until now, money was his master. But as he encounters Jesus, he knows who his true master is. It's Jesus. It's not his wealth. And as a consequence, what does he do? Two startling promises he makes. He says, first... I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. As a Jew, he understood what the Mosaic law said, because if you go to Deuteronomy 14, 22 and following, it says, you know what, 10% of what you earn, you're to give. This is where the word tithe comes from. 10% of your annual income. But what does Zacchaeus say? What does he say? I'm giving 50%. He's saying, I'm giving half. And he just offers it up. And he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore that fourfold. And you have to ask, why would he give away that much of his wealth? Where did his generosity come from? It's because he experienced the generosity and the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, until this point, he hasn't given a shekel away yet. Yet Jesus says today... This hour, salvation has come to this house. Man, this is the kind of transformation it's going to take to make us into lavish, generous people who give out of joy, not out of guilt. Because guilt and the law can move you to action, but it's not going to create a sense of joy about giving away to those in need. You know, every year, especially around December, November, you have all of these commercials on TV. You know what I'm talking about. It's got animals, you know, very hungry children, sick children, and it always has like a little uh, very heart-tugging tune attached to these commercials that come up to elicit our sympathies. You know, look at those poor animals, they need you. It's like, it's like kind of a sentimentality, like tugging at your heart. And I don't know about you, and this, tells, this may tell you a lot about me, when those commercials come up, you know what I do? I change the channel. <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I, 
I don't need you to try to guilt me into giving, okay? That's not going to work. Because what really needs to happen to every single one of us is not to be guilted into something, but to begin to understand something. We are recipients of lavish grace and mercy. And when that begins to come into our hearts, not guilt, you know, our giving begins to change. Our generosity, it becomes an attitude and an action of our lives and our hearts. We give joyfully, not begrudgingly. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth with a very wealthy congregation. And he's saying, you know, there are your brothers and sisters who are suffering back in Jerusalem because there's been some natural disasters and they're not doing well. And he says, you know what? I could command you to give. I could do that as an apostle, but I'm not going to. But he says instead, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty, that by his poverty, you might become rich. He's saying, don't forget, God has forgiven you, adopted you, he has made you his child. You have an inheritance that can't be taken away. Jesus gave his life to make you his treasured possession. This is what the Bible says. Jesus died to make you significant, to remind you you are beautiful, you are worthy. And when you see him dying on the cross to make you his treasure, that's when Jesus starts to become your treasure and not your money. And then money ceases to be the measure of your net worth. It ceases to be your trust. It ceases to be your security. I mean, the sad fact underneath our lack of generosity is that we don't really believe that God loves us as much as he says he does. Because he who gives little believes he is loved little. See, this is the gospel. When you begin to understand God would not withhold anything, the most precious thing, his one and only son for us, man, that starts to unleash in us a generosity we can't create in ourselves. You know, one of the things we read over quickly in this Zacchaeus story is this. Did you notice they never met? And in verse 3, Jesus calls him by name. He says, I know you even before you knew me. He's the one that's saying, you can trust me. I know your name. You can lean on me. I'm your strong power. I'm the fortress that can save you. I'm the one who's going to give you meaning. He's the one that says, that comes and says, I've given this for you. Sit in the generosity of what I've done. Reflect on that. That is the way you protect your hearts from going down the path of folly as it comes toward money. It allow you to release what you have in order to bless others, in order to enjoy what God has entrusted to you, and to see that as a source of great blessing to not only yourself, but to others. Let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we ask that this morning, 
you would help us. Help us to look deep into our hearts. Help us to look deeply into the gospel. To recognize the depth of your generosity and love to us. Father, you gave, you've given us far more than we could ever hope for. You've given yourself. And you ask us to make sure to go out and live as people who represent your glory and your generosity towards us. Father, we ask that you would shape our hearts, and challenge us in our own place where we are, whether for some of us it's to begin giving and thinking about this, for others of us, it's to say, okay, Lord, you've given us wealth beyond what I ever thought I would amass in this lifetime. Help me be good stewards to build your kingdom and to bless others. Give us those kinds of hearts, Lord. Give us the courage to step out and to trust in you, to know that you are the one who provides all things and is our security. And we pray these things, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.